Hello, friends. This is the AlphaList Podcast. I am your host, Toby. The goal of the AlphaList Podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by Rock. You all know the game. Every modern web application or SaaS application needs the same essential features. Authentication, access management, notifications, chats, file handling, billing, etc., etc. It doesn't make sense to build these features over and over again and waste time and money. Rock provides all the essential features of modern web applications as fully functional building blocks. Main use cases, B2B or B2C SaaS or customer portals. Technically, they offer fully functional React components that can easily be integrated into any existing web application and customized according to your style. In addition, there is a managed GraphQL API for business logic like managing or notifying users. Everything can be tailored and configured in Rock's platform. If you have a new project, just look at their open source Kickstarter based on Next.js and Prisma ORM. All features of Rock are already pre-integrated. To get the technology for free for three months, just visit roq.tech/cto. That's rock.tech/cto. Welcome to the Alphalist Podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today I'm talking to David Lintecum, who is the Chief Cloud Strategy Officer at Deloitte, uh, which is a huge company. I just heard like 165,000 people, right? David? Yeah, yeah, big firm. Um, but besides that, you you have quite a career, and maybe you can you can you can pitch yourself a little. As you, I mean, you wrote fifteen books, you published seven thousand articles, uh, you wrote a, a book called "An Insider's Guide to Cloud Computing." So I, I think like you know the game. So maybe you can you you can pitch yourself a little. Yeah, well, I'm a cloud SME. I've been involved in the cloud one way or the other for the last twenty years, either as a CTO or a, a professional service provider. Um, did the entrepreneurial, I uh, did the CTO thing for a while. I did the big company thing was a developer for a while. Then did the CTO thing for a while. I was CTO of a lot of smaller publicly traded companies and I normally work for them until we had an exit or sold them. Uh, did that about four times. Uh, then did the entrepreneurial thing, uh, started uh, my own company and 
worked for startups and brought those to an exit, uh, and including Cloud Technology Partners, which was the last company I was working for. And I, I pivoted right out of there into Deloitte. Um, so I'm focused on helping people with cloud computing and you know, taking the mystery out of what cloud computing is and how to leverage it successfully. I mean, my book, Insider's Guide to Cloud Computing, which will be out in a few months, um, really kind of focuses on that. In other words, it's looking at people, you know, the poor people who have to make this stuff work and uh, trying to make it work in a, in a very cost-efficient way. And something that's what I focus on. I, I focus on optimization of technology to um, return value back to the business. I do chase technology in terms of what's cool and, and what is, and I write and speak about that as a pundit, but I'm just fascinated with uh, leveraging technology in a way that's going to bring most um, value, profits, revenue back to the businesses that employs them. In this, this case, cloud computing, but also focus on AI and edge computing uh, and uh, cybersecurity as well. So you know the game. Um Happy to hear your your insider's guide today. So uh, let, let's see what 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 the cloud has to offer in in uh, the year twenty three. Uh, quite quite happy to hear your perspective. Um, so uh, stepping back a little. So you basically did everything, and then you realized, okay, uh, as I did everything, I I cannot consult. Or why why did you end up at Deloitte? Uh, ended up just I I started a professional service firm when I was I was uh, kind of locked out of the product company. When you sell a company, they you know have certain lockouts. Uh, you have to stay away from that particular industry for a certain amount of time. Uh, so I went into professional, started my own firm after that, and uh, ended up selling that in 2010 and just continued on with that theme into uh, cloud technology partners. Um, I like both sides of the I, the game. Uh, professional services is a bit more fun to me because it's always changing. You know, people who work for big consulting firms like Deloitte and Accenture and PricewaterhouseCoopers, you know, every day is different. You're always pushing the edge on solving problems and you learn more in a very short period of time. So that seems to be versus just focusing on a particular technology sector and a particular product. This is what you do as a CTO. So really enjoy doing that. And I enjoy helping people both within the firm and outside the firm and explaining technology. I'm kind of a passionate educator. I have a bunch of LinkedIn learning courses out there. Uh, I teach at LSU, Louisiana State University in the States. Um, so I just like turning people's eyes on to what the technology can do and how to leverage it properly. Professional services seem to be the best uh, area for me to focus on if I want to do that. Okay. Um like to me like like when i hear about like professional services and cloud i always think of lift and shift migrations i, I hope you can do more than that these days uh, working for deloitte yeah it's not always lift and shift and has to be again getting to an optimized architecture and that in some instances is going to be refactoring and changing applications so they're able to take advantage of cloud-based systems in fact i you know ultimately You know, this is about bringing that to light. When enterprises look at migrating the cloud, we saw this during the pandemic, they want to move as quickly and as cheaply as they can uh, to get to what everybody uh, kind of thought was going to be a safe space in the cloud. Um, you know, however, you have to look at what augmentations and how to um, localize those systems, make them native for the particular environment you're moving into, or else there's going to be cost inefficiencies, not going to work as well. And so lifting and shifting, you know, not always a bad idea, but it, it typically is something where you're going to have to do some augmentation of the data and the workload as you move it into the cloud. And certainly if you're going to cloud native technology and containers, there's major surgery has to happen. 
But again, it's looking at the workload, what it does, what it does for the business, and then making the assessment as to what changes need to be made as you move it into a public cloud provider. Okay, be before we continue there, I'd, I'd like to step back a little uh, to your very early career, uh, or like let's say even before my career, which was most likely before I was born. Like, why are you in computing? What, 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 what? sparked your attention first like wh wh why did you why did you choose that career path yeah when i was a kid i was a hobbyist um you know i am old old so i've had a long career but the thing is it's i used to put together heat kits and that was uh computers and timex and claire computers which came together as kits always asking them for christmas uh so it was putting the hardware together and understanding the basic systems And then it got into uh, programming. And typically back then, that was an assembler uh, running CPM-based systems, things like that. So, you know, 11, 12 years old, putting together computers, you know, 13, started to get into programming, joined the computer club at the high school, which was uh, just first year I think it started. Uh, and then when uh, I got to college, I was able to focus more on it and learn more of a formal education around system analysis and design and programming and how that stuff worked. Um, and also took some business courses as well. And it was just, to me, just fascinating that we could do these amazing things with these devices that I viewed as, you know, uber helpful. Um, so, you know, I, one of the quotes from Isaac Asimov, who's one of my favorite authors, he wrote science fiction, is, uh, I don't fear computers, I fear the lack of them. I think they kind of accelerate our ability to be humans better than humans. They, they make decisions for us every day that we typically don't have to make. They provide safer environments, safer driving of cars. All these benefits that we get from these computer environments, there's downsides as well. We have, kind of have to be careful with that. But to me, just focusing on this technology that can better our lives is, is really fascinating to me. And it still is to this day. I'm always fascinated with What we can do with computers, you know, certainly in, in moving into AI and, you know, one of my first jobs out of college was an AI analyst. Um, being able to leverage this amazing technology to uh, remove some of the mundane tasks out of our lives. And, and there's a bunch of stuff that's there and we all carry computers on our, on our, within our phones and our tablet systems and our cars, you know, things like that. And the ability to better those things to... Um, make them provide more value back to businesses and back to humans uh, just really kind of seemed to be my focus from the start. And, and, and what excites you, like jumping 35 years, what, 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 what excites you about the cloud in, in, in 2023? Yeah, I first got into cloud in the late 90s. I was CTO of Software AG. And I, and I kind of realized that um, This internet thing is is interesting, and not only is it just it's basically a place where we can find information. Um, so HTML and uh, you know all the those worldwide web stuff started to emerge, and uh, we had application delivery networks then, which are early versions of software as a service or SaaS. And I said, well, why can't we do the same thing for things that we typically have in the data center, storage integration? And I actually worked for an integration company at the time, data integration. So why couldn't we? deliver this thing as a service over the open internet. This is probably 1997, 1998. Uh, and I think, you know, it wasn't a unique idea. People had, you know, we had time sharing services, which were, you know, kind of early days in terms of cloud, different kind of delivery model and limitations on what you're able to do. So let's take these things that are very expensive, setting up a data center, setting up storage systems and compute systems to get a company underway 
And a startup then would have to pay at least a million dollars to get all those equipments in this, in a data center and localize for the data center. And let's uh, push that out to some sort of a time sharing model again, where we're able to share storage services between many different companies and compute services within many different companies. And through economies of scale, we should be able to do a few things. Number one, reduce the cost that we have to pass down to those companies that are leveraging it, which cloud computing does because it's a multi-tenant environment, lots of different tenants are leveraging the same physical hardware. And also, you know, number two, it becomes more sustainable in reducing some of the power. And of course, sustainability was on anybody's radar screen back then, but I realized moving forward that the amount of water and power that these data centers consume was not necessarily a good thing. So our ability to share these systems and reduce cost and provide just kind of a better, more efficient architecture was a step in the right direction. And so uh, wrote a uh, paper uh, called Project Archangel, which was really about um, uh, taking data integration, because that's what I was doing at the time, putting it as a service, you know, very much like Boomi does today, and leveraging instead of a uh, individual server that we have to install in everybody's data center, but the ability to kind of do integration uh, within the intra-company and intra-company, supporting B2B integration, things like that. And it absolutely went nowhere. No one was interested in it, uh, couldn't get it funded. Um, and uh, I think I turned that into an IEEE article or something like that, uh, and then actually ended up working for a company called Grand Central, which was an integration as a service company that started in the 90s and uh, since now it's gone away. But the idea was the same, the ability to share infrastructure um, with the train analogy, you can see the ability to share infrastructure, the ability to share a very expensive data integration technology among lots of different companies and have lots of different benefits in terms of the cost you're able to reduce, the cost savings you bring back to the company. Um, that was during, and also that was uh, SaaS integration, software as a service. And then we started to get into the rise of the cloud, which was um, uh, what I've been writing and speaking about for years, the ability to kind of leverage common resources found in a data center, compute, storage, um, AI engines, things like that. But doing it as a service where we don't have to own hardware and software. And that started to emerge um, as a concept that people were interested in, but not necessarily deploying. In fact, there was a lot of uh, uh, conversations I used to have back in 2003, 2004, um, where they just thought it was an awful idea. You know, they thought it was security was going to be an issue, performance was going to be an issue. Uh, and couldn't be overcome. And th the reality is it could. And so a few years later, uh, AWS uh, you know, showed up on the scene and had an infrastructure as a service provider, which was basically reselling some of their infrastructure um, that they uh, didn't need off season. And that kind of emerged into the infrastructure as a service play. And then uh, bringing that up into what cloud computing is today, you know, kind of started in 2007 in terms of interest uh, 2009, NIST wrote the definition of cloud computing, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, uh, uh, software as a service, uh, and also hybrid cloud, community cloud, private clouds, you know, as, as concepts, and then kind of the industry aligned behind those concepts. And kind of watch it emerge since then. Also watch people's attitude changes. So people who would probably, you know, not even take my call back in, you know, 2006, when I talked about sharing infrastructure, were very much interested in it in 2009, 2010, when it started to inflect, inflect as, a, as a concept that many companies were viewing as a good evolution of the technology. And so that was um, a satisfying thing because I got to be part of an industry at its infancy from the idea stage 
uh, into building it into something that it is today, which is uh, depends on the organization that you work for. I mean, 30 to 50 percent of infrastructure operates on SaaS based systems, infrastructure service based systems, things like that. And cloud's becoming more secure than on-premise, kind of crossed that uh, threshold a few years ago, provides better performance. And if you manage it correctly, it can provide better cost efficiency. Again, if you manage it correctly. If you manage it correctly. Right. So (laughs) we're we're getting... Would you you say a lot of clients manage it incorrectly or... (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you look at this, look at the survey, some of the ones I published on my InfoWorld blog, they do. So in other words, they're lot of ROI issues getting back from cloud and they see cloud as being more expensive than they initially thought. It's not returning the ROI back to the business that they initially thought. When I looked into those, um, most of those are self-inflicted wounds. So in other words, they're just not doing the things and taking the steps they need to govern costs. Having FinOps programs, they typically don't have them. They're letting instances uh, flounder out there and basically the meters on when that happens. They were spinning resources up and committing to the resources, we have to pay for them while they're operating. And that's what the, how the cloud uh, cloud providers charge. And so there seems to be two you know, different uh, you know, levels of use out there. People who um, are very diligent about uh, managing these resources, both allocating and running and operating them in a, in a very cost-efficient way. And organizations that are, quite frankly, they were new to cloud and they didn't really understand the downsides and the, the economics of not necessarily putting governance and putting discipline and accountability behind leveraging these resources. And so I've been focused on that for the last couple of years. I actually did a FinOps course, um, you know, talk about those capabilities. And so if they're able to get those disciplines in place and able to get the people trained up, that's a solvable problem. But right now I see companies all over the place and just kind of making huge mistakes. That doesn't mean it's not always uh, going to be their fault. I'm just, they could have migrated things out there that weren't, uh, weren't good applications to run in the cloud, uh, you know, may not have understood the, uh, the cloud capabilities as well as they should, but we kind of have to work together as public cloud providers and consultants and end users uh, organizations to figure out a better way to use this technology more efficiently because we don't have a choice. Uh, all the innovation and uh, uh, investment has gone into the cloud. It hasn't gone back into the on-premise systems. So they're not giving you an option in many instances to move back on-premise um, with some instances. So the, but the technology there ultimately is going to be investing in cloud-based resources. Um, would you say that the fact that it's very expensive for a few companies out there that might have an issue with discipline or with education, um, couldn't it also be due to the fact that um, the companies that 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 advertise for the clouds and that that strive to the clouds that they often have like way bigger problems when um, and 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 way more scaling problems than the 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 the, 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 the typical um, like let's say digital native company that is just moving over and that. Um, like lots of stuff that 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 is advertised there is kind of highly over engineering for 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 like the the, the the companies that that actually strive for it. You mean the you mean the uh, public cloud providers uh, uh, spinning cloud in such a way where they where the end users don't necessarily understand the risks? Yeah, that yeah. Um, and, and that like Google's problem is not everyone's problem, right? 
Yeah, I mean, um, obviously they're a technology provider and we've always had um, you know, hyperbole that goes along with using technology and sometimes a misunderstanding in how the technology should be used. And um, I don't view the, you know, any technology provider out there as being off the hook and doing that. And I think that um, the misunderstandings typically occur on the corporate side because people have a tendency to chase uh, technology trends. And cloud computing was certainly a technology trend and therefore didn't bother to understand. And, and probably to your point, um, it should have been more open, an open conversation with what workloads should move to the cloud, why they should move to the cloud, how you monitor them, how you manage them in the cloud. Those discussions typically weren't had until about three years ago. And still people started hitting these expense walls and moving forward. And I think part of that, to your point, is just gonna be misunderstanding in the industry um, in terms of kind of overhyping the technology. And the thing is, it was, uh, you know, even the pundits in the industry, the, co the sh uh, conferences that I was speaking at, things like that, um, everything was pretty much go gung-ho cloud. In other words, we're going, to, we're going to promote this kind of model as always going to be the answer to solve lots of your different problems when that's never going to be the case. There's no technology out there that should always be used. And the reality is that not every application that sits in a data center, a data center, a data set that sits in a data center should exist on the cloud from an economic perspective. So it's right. just getting to asking these tough questions that quite frankly were not asked, I think back in 2009 through 2005, I'm oh, sorry, 2009 through uh, 2015, when I was when that whole industry was exploding, because there was never any downsides brought up, and I found that if I brought up downsides, they they typically were ignored. Um, and looking mm -hmm. at this from an architectural perspective and not making mistakes, I think we were in such a growth hype of the cloud and the industry out there, including the pundits and the tech press and and the companies themselves, you know, kind of viewed it as we cannot say this is, can do no wrong and has no downside. And therefore, to your point, didn't ask the tougher questions that need to be answered. Yeah, like I think, like if if we're also to, like very often talking about trends and trends in the cloud, and um, then lots of people feel attracted by the idea of of let's let's for example pick multi cloud, right? Like I, I mean, who needs multi cloud realistically these days? Like percentage of, of 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 customers you you see and you work with like who who really needs it it's anybody that needs to leverage best of read technology and so it and it depends on what they're doing so the pan answer again you get from a consultant so in other words if i'm <laughs> leveraging cloud computing and i'm leveraging a single public cloud provider and i'm trying to pick the best ai engine for my particular application either i can go with what that single cloud provider provides or look out to the other, you know, uh, two major cloud providers or seven major cloud providers, if you you know get to the second tier cloud providers, and who has the best of read AI engine that they're able to leverage. And that's kind of how multi-cloud happens. And the the thing is there's a cost in moving to multi-cloud because your trade-off is heterogeneity and complexity. It has to be operated, it has to be maintained, you have to keep skill sets around to maintain the cloud. But the reality is that if you're able to get to a much more efficient and much more innovative solution, you know, based on you using another cloud provider versus the one you're currently using, using two, three, sometimes four cloud providers, that's typically going to be cost justifiable if that best of breed technology is able to bring much more innovation and efficiency to the particular solution. To your point, being devil's advocate for myself, um, that does not mean 
that would to not look at the trade-offs in doing that. There's additional costs, additional complexity, operational issues, things like that, to a point that many of the CIOs right now, since they're running into this complexity wall with Multiplat, are saying, we're not going to move to any more clouds. And so we're just going to use one particular cloud provider, and that's it. You can't find what you need in that cloud provider. Tough. Um, but those are not necessarily optional things. If people are able to need technology to take their solutions, to take their innovations to the next level. And that's why more of the innovation, innovative companies out there leverage multi-cloud because they align the particular solutions with the best of technology. You just have other problems you need to solve. You have cost complexity, um, how you manage those systems, how you operational, operationalize those systems, deal with heterogeneity, things like that, which are solvable problems. But you're going to have to figure, you're going to have to understand the trade-offs. You're going to leverage these services to get to a multi-cloud state, you're also going to have to solve these three other problems that can really kill you if they're not paid attention to. Yeah, and and I think like many companies still not being in the cloud and now moving, uh, let's say typical lift and shift cases, um, underestimate the complexity of the cloud first and go for for like way too big setups for them. Um, uh, and, and pick like a multi-cloud setup, even if they, I don't know, uh, never ran something apart from like a virtual machine uh, somewhere um, and, and, and didn't make the move. So isn't it like an evolutionary process of moving to the cloud and uh, something you need to be very patient with um, and you need to maybe first pick like a small setup um, or a smaller setup than, than, than lots of companies go for? Yeah, I always like the baby steps um, way of doing something. If you're certainly a, a normal court company, you don't have super uh, great skill sets around. Um, you just have average people that are that are trained in IT and they're just trying to keep things running. Then you yeah. can be overly aggressive and get over your skis in terms of your ability to deploy and leverage this technology correctly to an efficient way. So my advice is... Um, you know, many smaller battles win the war. And typically when people take a big bang approach to cloud computing or any technology deployment for that level, they can get in trouble quick because it's too much, too fast with too few resources and too few skill sets. Cloud's no different. What are the trends you right now see? Like, is it still like the hybrid setups, the multi-clouds or like, what, what, do, what do people care about in, in 2023? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's a boring answer. I think to the point we just had at the beginning of the conversation, it's optimization. Your ability to leverage assets in the cloud in a more optimized way, that's going to return more value, more ROI back to the business. I hear that as the most common question. So, you know, whether it's optimizing a multi-cloud setup or a hybrid cloud setup or a single cloud setup, it doesn't seem to matter. They're just focusing on taking what they already have deployed and going back and refactoring applications to make them more effective and efficient, going back and uh, uh, implementing a FinOps program, going back implementing governance, going back and implementing arc uh, operational technology like AI ops to better control their environment. So they're not as focused on expansion anymore. They're focused on leveraging what they have already in the cloud and optimizing those systems. And by the way, in some instances, that's going to mean this thing should have never been in the cloud. Um, that mistake was made five years ago. Let's move it back on premise. And I'm saying repatriation is a is a question that's coming up a lot. And I think it's the right question to answer. That doesn't mean 
you failed at cloud, that just means you move some workloads out onto a public cloud provider that shouldn't be there. And they're much more cost effective in running back on premise, either a colo or a managed service provider on your own private data center than they do in existing in the cloud. And there's there's and, always and, a reason for doing that. And, and in many cases, that's the case, right? If you just if you if you just look at like non cloud providers and 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 what they charge, then in many cases it's way cheaper. Um, would you say? That if you just look at that, you you're missing something. Just look at cloud. No, just just look, just look at look at the cheaper data centers that that, yeah. that uh, and and on prem. Yeah, are a, you? Is it is it like a? Yeah, it's a it's, it's a TCO question, obviously, right? Yeah, and it, yeah, absolutely, it it comes back into where that workload should actually run. And and so if you're just coming back to the data center because you view storage as being way cheaper in the data center now, and it absolutely is, it's dropped like a rock in the last 10 years, um, then you're missing the larger issue. Is there a reason other than cost and storage capabilities that you need to have this workload in the cloud? Access to cloud native uh, systems like AI and uh, analytics and big data systems, things like that, integration with other systems that exist on the cloud. All these questions need to be asked. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a reason to repatriate some of these things or leave them in the data center for the reasons you decided. But these are holistic, very complex architectural questions that have to be dealt with. And they have to be asked on each and every workload in each and every data set as to where the thing should be run. And also looking at the future of the technology. In other words, there may be a short-term uh, savings gain in, in pushing it back on premise, but maybe a long-term risk associated with our inability to take advantage of some of the cloud features. And also if the cloud prices dropped, then you know that may not have been a, a bad, you know, that way may have been a worse choice than you think it is. So you get into these multiple complex systems that people need to, to think about. But I one thing it is it's never binary. In other words, it's this is cheaper here, I move here. This is more expensive here, I don't move here. Lots of other attributes need to be considered. I, I don't know if you saw the article of uh, David Heinemeyer Henson and and Basecamp uh, moving away from the cloud again and going on prem again. Did did you see that? No, it, it was, but I, like, I, I I see those all the time. People bring them to my attention. I didn't read that article specifically. Okay, um, do you see cloud prices really dropping in the next years? I mean, there there's some competition going on, right? Um, and and I still miss like really like the big jumps um in and prices and 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 really like saving savings uh being 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 realized more quickly do you see that that coming in the next years yeah i think that cloud prices public cloud provider prices uh, are going to drop for some services not all services and the reason is is competition pressure and repricing systems kind of based on their own costs and so if Physical HDDs, hard drive disk storage for on-premise system has dropped a lot in the last 10 years. And that becomes a more attractive option for people that are currently in the cloud. They're going to want to maintain those people in the cloud. And therefore, they're going to drop their prices as well. But it typically won't be for everything. It's going to be for certain services and, and certain aspects of services. The cloud is going to price their stuff very much like the airlines price flights. And it's very expensive to get a flight now. Uh, and all the planes are full, but you know, during the pandemic it was very cheap and you were probably on a 20% full flight. 
so it, the market shifts them. They're going to adjust to the market, just like every other player out there. They're obviously operating in their own best interest, but they also understand the market conditions as well. They know you can go to another cloud provider. They know you can bring your stuff back on premise. Uh, and so that's where the pressure is going to occur. So to answer your question, yeah, they're probably going to drop as things get less expensive and they become better at doing it. They'll pass those savings down to the customer just to try to maintain those customers. And also, in many instances, people will negotiate these inter large enterprise deals where they're going to provide very preferred pricing to large companies. Uh, so just to make sure that they you know, don't have a compelling reason to move back on premise, but to keep their workloads in the cloud. You see a lot of setups um, and lots of people ask you for, for your help in optimizing cloud cost. What is the biggest leverage typically? Like what are, what are, what are the, 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 the biggest levers to pull? I think the biggest lever to pull is, is, um, is basically um, resource optimization, just putting things away when you're done with them. Uh, that's where the mistakes are being made. People are getting these large bills, almost everyone that I look into, they've spun up uh, a petabyte of storage and then needed it for an hour to process, do an end year processing thing and just left it up and running. And so your ability to kind of find those things and shut them down and also have accountability down to the workload, the application, the time, and the user who's, who's moving into makes a huge deal. That's the lowest hanging fruit. Like I said, most of the cost overruns that are there are, um, you know, are self-inflicted wounds. And we're just going to see more of that until they put some efficiency around it. So that's why FinOps is such an important concept now. It's uh, it basically financial discipline around leveraging an IT resource, in this case, the cloud. That comes with lots of cool tools. We can monitor, we can put away, we can optimize, we can, you know, tweak, uh, you know, that we couldn't just a few years ago because the tools are better. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really take a genius to know that if you, you know, spin up something, you're going to have to spin it down or else it's going to end up costing you money. It's very much like in a house that we start turning on every light and never turn it off and wonder why I bill so high or turn on every appliance and never turn them off and wonder why our bill's so high. Uh, same thing's kind of occurring in the, in the corporate world when it comes to cloud cost overruns. Uh, and then you can get into some tuning stuff, optimization, the ability to kind of go back and renegotiate your, your enterprise deal with your clients and things like that. Those aren't going to be as helpful as just solving the problems of making, putting discipline around using the cloud resources. So... Turn off light, my friend. <laughs> and um, do you have like a valid strategy of, of, of implementing that discipline? I mean, is it just cost discipline? Is it just transparency on costs? Or like where, 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 where do you start typically or where, where, where could companies start these days? I think the first place you start is figuring out what your costs truly are and what's causing the cost. You don't have no visibility into that. Um, you know, people talk about uh, financial uh, FinOps observability, your ability to kind of understand trends and stuff. I just, in many instances, just looking at a sheet of paper to seeing where the costs and where the money is actually going and have visibility into that. If you asked um, cloud consumers and, you know, CIOs, nine times out of 10, they're not going to be able to tell you because they, they just get the big bill at the end of the month, they pay it don't really understand where the bill's coming from. They know it's being consumed by people in the organization and they just go ahead and pay it without asking the question. So having visibility and transparency into what those things are, the line item details and what you're spending 
is going to be the first step in doing that. I don't even think you need fancy tools to do that. You can look at your, you know, dashboard cost billing dashboard in the month and figure out where this stuff is costing. And that seems rudimentary, but not a lot of people are doing it because they moved in the cloud rather quickly. Uh, didn't really care much about the cost. They just knew they had to move to cloud and, and they're going to use cloud as efficiently as they could. They heard 10 years ago that cloud is going to be more cost efficient and cheaper, and therefore that's going to be the case for them. It has not been uh, because of the inefficiencies kind of built in their system. You know, even some of the inefficiencies built in the public cloud providers. Uh, and then you can play the game with the observability and the trending and predict cost predicting and budgetary stuff and putting governance around systems where people aren't allowed to you know, run away with cloud spending uh, if you're a particular user. And those are all things you do after the fact, after you figure out where the major problems are. And I think that's where we are today, even though people would tell you that they're monitoring their cloud costs and being very diligent in making these happen. And the more majority of instances where they're having cost overruns and lack of ROI coming back to the business, you can almost trace it into discipline issues around the accountability. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely makes sense. Um, what I also often see is that companies absolutely lose in complexity, right? I mean, Spinning up instances, spinning them down again um, is, is uh, like a simple form. But so many companies have so many services that they yeah, lose oversight and they don't know where they can actually uh, like shut down stuff again after a while because they don't know how services play together and which, is, which service is actually used and which isn't. Um, is that also something you, you see a lot? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when you get into it, we're also getting into trouble with the complexity issues, certainly in multi-cloud and hybrid cloud deployments. Uh, your ability to monitor and understand these costs and how they exist one, one to another. You think about it in a multi-cloud deployment, you have say two or three different cloud providers, all at different price point levels, and they all have different terms and they all bill differently. And so how do you keep track of that? And so you have to use the tools and the tools to remove the complexity from you to abstract you from dealing with these back-end billing systems and accountability systems. And that's the only way you can do it. But first you kind of have to understand what it is and the problem that you're solving before you pick a solution. And that's kind of the hard part. So complexity is getting into a challenge, into operational complexity, and we have to pay more to operate those systems, keep different skill sets around to keep them going. And they're way harder to track cost. And certainly if you have systems that are even interdependent where you have you know, some stuff running on Google and other stuff running on AWS, and then if they're dependent one to another, how do you track costs there and build them back? And it's, it's a problem that is solvable, but it's quite frankly a harder problem to solve than just uh, buying hardware and sticking it in your data center. That was pretty simple. So we're getting back to very complex array of things and It's the, the billing cycles and the terms are not getting less complex or getting more complex. And uh, people, quite frankly, are just kind of running into what I call a complexity wall. In other words, they're paying too much. There's reduced value that's coming back from the cloud based on the amount of complexity that they're creating in building all these services willy-nilly and migrating these applications. And that's the downside of what we just pointed to and leveraging multi-cloud. We're leveraging best of breed. And we get some value for that, but the complexity comes back as a value re remover uh, from enterprises uh, because they're, they're not going to be able to um, keep track of everything. So that, does that mean that 
everything comes in waves and uh, there will be like a, a wave towards simplicity again? Well, I think simplicity has gone out the window, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that best of breed is typically going to have the best value that we're moving in. But you can mitigate complexity through, um, you know, complexity mediation uh, systems. You know, I have a, another, you know, LinkedIn learning video on cloud complexity management, just kind of getting to that. It's a, I think it's three hours long. But getting in the fact that we have to understand how complex our environment is and what the different domains are, start to place them into particular buckets and then abstract them with tooling. So we can manage this complexity as a very simple environment. So to your point, which I think is spot on, we have to make complex things simple for the human beings to manage it, also manage it with automation and abstraction. So we're no longer trying to deal with complexity on complexity's terms. That's never going to scale. Um, in that, another option is, like I said, just to say we can't handle this complex environment. We know we have two clouds here. Uh, we go into three, we're going to one. So everything has to be combined to a single provider where we're using one set of dashboards to deal with billing and uh, billing and monitoring and things like that. The downside is you're you're going to end up going to multi-cloud at some point in time in the future as people see the need to do it. So you might as well get good at it moving forward. And the good news is we have lots of tools that will allow us to manage complexity well, observability tools, AI ops, um, and uh, uh, FinOps tools to manage cost complexity. Uh, governance, SecOps tools to manage security complexity, lots of things that are there to make it happen. It's just very difficult to set these things up. There's not a lot of people out there that have the knowledge to make to, to allow you to do that successfully, not a lot of procedures. You look at the rise of the concept of MetaCloud and SuperCloud. They just had a conference at the Cube about that. That's really getting into complexity mediation. So if you look at what a SuperCloud is, it's a layer of technology that logically runs above the public cloud providers. It's about removing the redundancy out of the public cloud providers. In other words, different security systems, different monitoring and management systems, different FinOps systems, things like that, and centralize them at a layer that runs above the cloud providers. It may physically run within a cloud provider, but from a logical point of view, That's we're dealing with a single security layer, a single operations layer, a single governance layer, a single FinOps layer. And that's the only way you solve complexity. And I think the Sooner people start architecting to that and investing in that, the better off they're going to be. Because guess what? You can add your hybrid clouds in there. It's your public clouds. I'm sorry, your private clouds, your enterprise systems, your edge-based system. It's going to go, go all run under this common framework. And so now we have the tools available. They weren't there five years ago, but they are now uh, to make these things successful. So people are starting to build those things out in kind of rudimentary ways. So it's essentially decoupling the cloud again. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, it's it's architectural tricks to make things simple by removing redundancy, by not necessarily removing redundancy. We still have you know three different security layers there that we're managing, but we're abstracting them into a single security manager and SecOps tools that allows us to automate and make these very complex things simple. It's about dealing with our limitations as human beings. We don't deal with complex things very well. We can automate things that are complex, like when driving our car, You know, we have lots of different systems that, you know, deals with the fuel system, the steering system, the HVAC system, all those things on our behalf. But if we had to turn those things on and off and do lots of switches, you know, like we did in the old, in the, uh, in the old days with old cars, uh, no one would ever want to drive. It's, it's too complicated of a process. And so this is about removing complexity and dealing with complexity on, on, on our terms versus complexity's terms. 
But 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 sometimes you can reduce complexity to also just not follow every trend, right? Um, I mean, microservices versus monoliths, for example. Like many many companies out there just have a monolith and live with it, um, and and choose that that path, um, knowing uh, the complexity of microservices. Um, would you, would you say that this is also something that 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 will happen in the cloud world? Yeah, I hope. Um, there should be no reason why we move toward technology just because it's in a hype state and certainly containers and uh, microservices um, and container orchestration and all these things that are more related to the cloud native architecture trends that are going on are the preferred way to do it. But the reality is there needs to be a reason to use them. So you're going to make applications that are going to be much more complicated to operate if you're moving in this area. There may be a compelling reason why you want to do that. And I'm always looking for those compelling reasons, but you need to understand the compelling reason first um, versus just picking technology because of hyperbole. And we have a tendency to do that in the, in the technology world. You know, the way I look at it, it's almost, it's almost like a child soccer game where we kick the ball over in one side of the field and everybody runs over. There's no strategy to it. it goes to the other side of the field, everybody runs over again. And in my career, I saw lots of this stuff, Yvonne, it was mainframes and then the rise of the PC and then the rise of client server and LAN computing and the rise of service-oriented architecture, distributed objects. Um, you know, I saw all these things kind of emerge and then certainly the rise of cloud around that, that occurred out of all this and the rise of integration. So just because something is used by lots of people and has some value in some instances where it's being used, it doesn't mean that you should use it. And I always say, take the most optimized way to do that and leave complexity out of the mix as much as you can. And that's an architectural, that's an architectural trend. Because uh, I think we're, we're going to end up with lots of these enterprise applications, enterprise systems that are going to be way under-optimized. And you get the whole you know, thing, well, it works. Of course it works. But it's costing you 10 times the money to run and operate these systems you know, versus something that's simpler. I get it, you get to use containers and microservices and, and container orchestration, but you know that tripled your development costs and it's going to uh, ten, make your operational cost 10 times as much. So why do you want to do that? Well, it's microservices and containers. That's never going to be a reason for me. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hype guy too. I have pun, you know, speak about current technology trends and where things are going. I have to stay ahead of the game and explain things in the firm and outside of the firm you know, as to what the technology means. But in an architectural situation, I'm never going to sell technology first. I'm going to sell the solution and the business value and the business optimization of the solution. I know that sounds like uh, a boring way to look at it, but that's the only way that's going to work if you're going to make this technology viable for the business. You know, I mean, a big concern now is people are using tech. Uh, the stuff always works. It never fails. With enough time and money, I can make anything work. Um, but it's the efficiency of it is, is going to kill companies. I think companies are going to end up getting in trouble because they haven't optimized their utilization of technology where other people have, and they're not getting the value out of it that they should. And that's going to end up killing the companies. I think a lot of bigger companies are going to fall by the wayside, not because their product or services failed, but their IT solutions, their innovation technology, the customer experience that they're able to provide is going to be way under optimized based on what the competitors are doing. Yeah, I think like uh, many companies are just just operating at a, a too high cost, right? Um, yeah. Also, yeah. If, you, if you look at the VC world and how cheap money was, uh, now now it's not as cheap as it it was. 
and, and you see many companies taking venture debt and and and, and failing, right? Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're failing for preventable reasons. I mean, the market is a good reason to fail. If the market's not there, people aren't able to buy your product, and sometimes we can't can't help where the market's going to go and demand for a product's going to go. But we can deal with our efficiency and our ability to leverage technology and as an innovative force multiplier. And that's what startups, you know, really need to focus on. You know, if you look at the Ubers of the world and the Airbnbs in the world and Netflix, the world people, you know, the poster, uh, they're they're always the examples that people love to use for. Um, you know, people innovating with technology. Well, same thing's going to come to the pharmaceutical world and the manufacturing world and the automobile world's already coming to that, where those companies that are able to leverage technology as a true innovative force multiplier and do things much more efficiently at the same time, like automating a smart supply chain, things like that, are the ones that are going to win the game because it's becoming not a lot of difference with one company versus another that offers a particular service and you know everybody's building cars now they're all good um you know pretty much uh and then it becomes down to the customer experience and your ability to automate systems in the car and uh, your ability to provide a, a a better um you know customer relationship than your competitor and also build a better car and the same thing can be said about pharmaceuticals and manufacturing and uh you know agriculture um, it's just coming down to the fact that people who are able to leverage, they're, they're becoming technology companies under themselves. So people who are able to leverage technology more effectively are the ones that are going to win the game. I don't care if you're selling corn, you know, corn or uh, electric, you know, electric vehicles. And, and so people are realizing that right now. And they're going into technology as an investment versus an expense. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I was an expense. I mean, I was a guy doing the development. They had to keep me around to automate some of the business systems that they needed to automate. But the reality is I moved money off the bottom line because uh, they just looked at me as something that was necessary to make things go. And innovation and product development was occurring in another domain. Now innovation and product development is occurring within the technology stack for any given industry. And your ability to kind of leverage that more effectively and efficiently is going to be your key differentiator because everybody kind of figures out how to do the commodity stuff well, how to, you know, sell drugs and build cars and uh, plant corn and, you know, all the things we just discussed about. So that's what people need to be focusing on right now. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, we, we we shortly have to come to the end. Um, and and one question I really wanted to ask you is um, the top three common mistakes you see very often in grown setups um, and, and and how you would uh, advise CTOs to avoid them? You mean in cloud setups? In cloud setups, yes. Yeah. Well, number one, not understanding their own business requirements. That's the huge mistake. Uh, they're not assessing their existing as a state in terms of their systems and their people and their skill sets and their culture. And if you miss those, you're unable to put those on a path of change then nothing else is going to work. If I implement cloud technology and the company is not accepting cloud technology or not accepting that they're going to have to change skill sets to, to leverage this technology effectively, uh, they're going to fail. And that's a hard problem to solve. I understand why people are not paying attention. That's a huge mistake, but it's the biggest mistake that I see. Number two would be not dealing to the point you brought up, but I think was spot on, not dealing with efficiency but looking at hyperbole in terms of what's cool and what technologies are there. So I walk into a few you know, situations where the client goes, well, this is our AWS project, or this is our Google project, this is a Microsoft project. 
well, why, why are we saying that at this point? We don't understand the existing systems. Well, that's, we heard that's the best way to go, uh, uh, any public cloud provider. And our cloud native stuff now, I think that's what I hear the most. When there's a reason to use it, but there's reasons not to use it. And I find there's lots more reasons not to use it than a reason to use it. And so it's not having that conversation, ending up moving to technology for technology's sake. And that's a huge uh, issue, I think, unto itself. Number three would be failing to hire the skills you need, um, which really kind of goes back to most of the problems that we're dealing with. So if I'm able to find the technologists that are able to bring some innovative change to my uh, business and I'm able to maintain that talent within my company, uh, you have no chance of moving forward with your technology. You can certainly hire consultants, and I think that's going to be fine, but eventually if good consultants are in there to cease being needed because if they do their job, then they're moving on to other things and after building and they're training people on how to do it and leaving some value there and moving forward and allowing them to take off of the value. But if you don't have the skill sets in place in the culture and on a path to get there, and certainly that's a huge issue now, uh, it's just never going to work. Thank you. Um, I still have a little surprise for you. Um, as a, and it's my favorite question. Um, so, I was once talking to the CTO of Amazon, Werner Vogels, and he told me about a secret Easter egg only you know, we know about um, called uh, Time Machine in the AWS CLI. Um, and uh, this feature does exactly what the name advertises. So it lets you travel back in time. Um, and we now have the chance. So I have my laptop here and my, my, my console running that Easter egg. Um, and we now have the chance to travel back in time to the year 20,000 when um, you started to work for IBM. Um, and we see you, we can observe you for a while coding, uh, doing like a few management uh, uh, tasks as well. Um, and, and we observed yourself for a while and, and now you have the chance to whisper something um, into young David's ears. What would it be? Invest in cloud. <laughs> that's that's good. So um, actually buy Amazon stock. Buy right? everybody's stock. Anybody that has a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have an independence uh, thing, so I can't root, uh, go out there and buy everybody's stock. That has to be controlled and reported. But uh, investing in that technology, I think would have been a good, good idea. Everybody who launched onto it, became a bigger company and, and created more value in the space. Not everybody. But I think if you made investments in, in stock and went to work for cloud companies, things like that, it probably wouldn't have been a good use of your time and money. And, and did anyone whisper that into, into young David's ears? Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew it was, was going to be big, but I was in 2000. I was working for Mercator, by the way, that ended up getting bought by IBM. Um, ended up being... Um, something that uh, was kind of disappointing at the time because I wasn't getting a lot of positive feedback. People were telling me I was crazy. Uh, not everybody. I had a few <laughs> partners in crime. Some of them worked for me at Deloitte, but uh, for the most part, I heard that's never going to happen. You know, go, go focus on something else. Um, when I truly believed that that model was going to be something that was going to be a much better way, more efficient way to consume technology. And then now follow-up question, what, what is the equivalent in, in this year? Is it blockchain or <laughs> AI still or? 
I, I think ultimately the it's pretty easy to look at the trends in technology. Everything's going to be moving to AI uh, more, even though we've been dealing with AI since the 50s. And always people think it's new technology. It's not. It was conceptually derived at Dartmouth in the 50s. And I leveraged it when I was um, you know, 21 and just out of college. I was doing list programming and teaching at, um, at the local community college as well. But it's kind of coming into its own in terms of its ability. Cloud is making it more commoditized, easier to use, less expensive. Uh, and you know, look at something like chat, you know, GT, GPT, you know, and some amazing stuff that come out of it. It's really kind of taking that whole thing to the next level. So I would say focus on the integration of AI-based systems so you can take lots of different AI systems and make them one plus one equals three kind of scenarios. And then focus on the optimization and optimization areas of cloud computing. So that's observability, AI ops, spin ops. Uh, I think that's gonna be, we're still gonna do migration, we're still gonna do you know, cloud native development, but I think many, much of the focus is gonna be if we're gonna do this, we need to get the optimization, operational, how we operationalize these systems under control. That's where I would invest now. Cool. Thanks a lot, David. Anytime. <laughs> have to have to look at my portfolio later on. <laughs> um, so uh, thanks a lot for the podcast. It was really fun talking to you. And uh, I'm really looking forward to your book. Uh, wh when is it coming out? It's going to come out in April, uh, just a few months. Uh, I just sent back the uh, just sent back the PDFs after checking them. But uh, Insider's Guide to Cloud Computing. Uh, you can find it on Amazon now in pre-order. Um, but I think it's a good book. I'm trying to Make sure I enlighten people on everything that's going on in the in the cloud computing space, much like the conversation we just had here, so people can make the most informed decisions. Thanks a lot. You got Thanks it. Going to pre-order now. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to the AlphaList podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.